I just got out of uh, the dentist office. Um, and the last time I went to the dentist office, I wrote the first chapter for another book I started writing. And I remember the last time I was in that dentist chair, like the entire scene <coughs> of the chapter played out in my head. Um, even when I'm getting my fucking teeth drilled, I can still try to think about creative shit. I've been listening to a lot of that new Fleet Foxes record. And I get off on, you know, the greatness and these, you know, these people who make these great fucking things. And I wonder, you know, was like Robin Pecknold ever like getting a root canal and came up with the melody of like winter hymnal? I don't know. I doubt it. But it's, you know, it's being open to those ideas. You know, talking more to these authors, it's, it's always the same kind of thing. You know, like I'm going on a date tonight. Uh, first date. And I'm 33. <laughs> I have been on more dates than I'm not going to compare. I've been on a lot. And what I have learned through that process, through heavy trial and error, and mostly all failure, um, is that you need to be open to anything. I mean anything. <laughs> um, and you also have to be sympathetic. You got to be sympathetic to the people you're spending your time with. You don't know what's going on with them. Okay? Sympathy can go a long way. And, you know, I had to learn that the hard way, you know, by going you know, on a lot of dates. <laughs> so with those two ideas in my head, I wanted to revisit that writing. Again, this is six months ago. Um, but as I'm reading that writing, I, the openness of changing it comes to mind immediately. You know, you've been, I've been looking at the same first paragraph of chapter one for three years now, and I'm still not happy with it. But I got rid of a lot of shit that I knew didn't need to be there. But again, that's the openness thing. And also being sympathetic to who I was six months ago. Six months ago, you know, it's, you know, it's October. The world was a lot, October 2020. The world was a lot different six months ago. Um, I was, you know, we all were different people then. Um, and being sympathetic to the person I was then. I, I'd like to think I'm a better person now. But going back to this writing and, I, I, you know, it's this opening scene of sitting in a dental chair and like the dentist just talking very mild mannerly and you know an attractive dental hygienist and I'm reading it and like today was the literally the exact same scene and I'm in the chair today I wanted to rush back home and try to see if what I had written originally felt like it felt like today and it did and it was funny it was engaging. It was well written. Um, I'm pretty impressed by it, to be honest. And going back today, almost sitting in that, in that chair and then reading it, 
it reaffirmed almost my, you know, writing in a way. Um, you know, if anyone, you know, can read that little, that little chapter as it, as it is right now, and, you know, know exactly what it's like, you know, having that fucking light shining in your face and, um, that's, you know, that's what, you know, not great writing, but that's what, you know, that's what good writing is about. And, you know, she's like, you know, the dentist is like chatting me up and, you know, it, you know, the, the dentist hygienist comes in in like a complete fucking hazmat suit with like 17 face masks on, four pairs of gloves. And, you know, listen, I, I need to crack jokes. Otherwise, I'll crack myself. So I need to like, that's just how I deal with, you know, weird situations is I try to inject humor into it. And, and most of the times it, do, it doesn't work. Um, but today I was like, you know, I, people are still sensitive, but in my writing, writing about that scene six months ago, I have my character make a joke and <laughs> it's almost like, you know, the thoughts are replaying themselves over and over. And again, I was able to capture that and it made me laugh out loud reading it. You know, if I would said that same thing today. At today's, you know, appointment, that would not have uh, uh, <laughs> gone over well. So, you know, like tonight, I'll, I'll go on this date. We'll see what happens. Yeah. It, it doesn't, you know, goes good. It goes bad. It goes whatever. It, it'll be, it'll be fine in the end. Just like my teeth are still going to be there. Yeah. And just like the idea of wanting to keep pushing forward creatively will hopefully continue to be there. Yeah. Again, like today was just like a reaffirming thing. I like us talking with, you know, Nathan Englander. It's like that dude, he was like, I just do draft after draft after draft. And it's like, I'm so stoked to look back at this work six months from now or later and like want to get back to it. But like, you know, going back to things and wanting to, you know, be open about who we were and what we were doing and where we were at and you know, believing in yourself going forward that you can be better at, you know, a better person, a better writer, a better thinker, a better partner. Um, but yeah, these are, you know, these are the things that are going to keep everyone going through this, you know, it's just so shitty out there right now. And I hope maybe like one person can hear this and be kind of stoked on their own creative endeavor or stuck in their own relationship and just keep going. Keep going. Uh, but I'm not going to keep this podcast going. I kind of like keeping them short. This is fun, actually. Uh, it sucks though, because on the zoom podcast that I'm doing, um, I don't, I'm not signed up for like the official zoom. So it stops at 40 minutes. So when I'm talking to other people, I can do, I can talk for hours, but when it's just me driving around, nah, I can't do that. So I will spare you all. And, uh, until the next one, thanks again. Oh yeah. And follow us again, always on, uh, Instagram writing friction, all that shit. Um, and, uh, all right. Yeah. Later. Thanks.
What's going on, everyone? Uh, welcome to another episode of Writing Friction. And as always, the guest today is pretty cool. Uh, what's going on, Nathan Englander? How are you? Uh, good. Happy to be here. Thanks for getting up early in San Francisco. Oh, we we love it here. Well, as everyone knows in the podcast, Reba is with me. Um, as always, the bulldog. Uh, she's fi- she was five months two days ago, so she doesn't go very far away from me. Oh, a real puppy. Now, our, oh, uh, yeah. yeah, we have, we have an old gray face dog. My my. <laughs> my so we were talking before the podcast. You are not in New York City right now. You spent a lot of time in New York, but now you're kind of away from there. Where did you go? Oh, uh, yeah. My wife uh, finished her PhD, and there was a really um, perfect match for her uh, up in Toronto at York University. She does yeah. a pretty hyper-specific thing. Anyway, a dream job that opened up here, and I, uh, I'm i mobile. I can be anxious yeah. anywhere, so I'll be anxious in Toronto. Well, would so you ever consider yourself, you know, looking through your, you know, your works, are you a New York writer, or do you feel that, I mean, you know, because again, you're, we're, we're two Jewish guys, we were talking yeah. about before the podcast, you know, and these things kind of influence people's yeah. writings. Do you find that living in New York for so long kind of influenced your writing? Oh God! I mean, I'm uh, I'm such a New York loyalist, and it's you know, a, especially uh, intense year not to be there. Yeah, um, uh, missing home a lot, especially with our closed border. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm always super. Sen- that's an identity I take on very easily. Like I feel, I often like feel like it could be a you know, like like an SNL game show, you know, where they'd be like. New Yorker Jewish, like so many cultural oh. things that we tie to like Judaism, like a certain way of being are really like New York stuff. You know, I, again, different, you know, all the cultural influences. But yes, I think a lot about me is very, 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 very New York. And I'm uh, fully embrace that. And it's, you know, when I immediately get a hyphenated Jewish American writer thing where I'll get sensitive, you know, not that all my stuff, it, you know, my stuff can't be any more Jewish. It's not literally not possible. But I'm I'm just I'm reading the Roth. They sent me the Roth um, biography. That's you coming put the words out. out of my mouth. Yeah, I knew we would head there anyway. Mm-hmm. But um, but uh, you know, and I had a nice friendship with. But my point is, he was doing this a lot longer than me, which is this notion of, you know, uh, I think I get to be an American writer, you know, uh, and and you know, now with um, now I don't know if you've noticed, we have a, a white supremacist. Uh, leadership currently in america um but uh oh it's it's for the first time i've embraced the jewish american thing you know for all uh-huh. the time i'd be like you know i'd say again and again my parents are born here my great my great grandparents like i'm you know you know my family's been here longer than the president's like i must be american i don't need yeah. a hyphen and now i say right with you know 10 yarmulkes stacked on my head so there he is well but, I, mean, uh, he, I mean he's my favorite author yeah. um so when you, you know, you just said you knew him. So obviously my antenna just went up. Um, yeah. yeah but I mean, do you find that that was a thing in your earlier days of writing of being afraid to be labeled as a Jewish writer or was that no, a no, no, more like this idea that, that, you know, what it means to be American, like yeah. there is room for other, co- you know, that I, the, I just get into this idea of objectification and subjectivity and this idea that I'm supposed to look at myself as other, you know, that's, you know, back to when we we talk about things that need to get fixed, that you're supposed to feel other, you know, based on religiosity or sex. You know, like you're not a alt. You don't have to be a fucking hyphenate yeah. because you're you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like that's that's what some people would like us to be. So I think for me, it was actually a surprise. You know, I was just work. 
I knew in grad school I did, you know, uh, the Iowa Writers Workshop, which is, you know, a, a, you know, a it's writer the what, factory. Right? Yeah. So I loved it, you know, so much and almost had a hundred nervous breakdowns there. But I definitely knew when I was working on like literary short fiction about Hasidim, like I definitely felt there like, why am I such a weirdo? Like I had that <laughs> feeling. In the middle of Iowa? <laughs> yeah. But I did feel when the book came out, I was, when my first book came out, I was so thankful for everything that happened with it and the success, but like super shocked, you know, if everybody's like, there's a Jewish American writer. I was like, where? Hey. Like it hadn't crossed my mind. I grew up in a very closed world and that was my complete universe. And I, and I didn't think of it as a, like that. I was like hyphenate, a, a kind of writer. I thought I was yeah. just telling stories, which is the yeah. only way to do your work. So yeah, I feel like I spent the first 20 years of my career, which takes us right to now being like, I'm an American writer and I, you know, I don't have to qualify myself. And as said, the current political moment has me in a weird sense, swinging back the other way, which is like, I'm as Jewish as they come. Leaning hard into it. I mean, I'm buying challah every week just to make a point. That's um, funny. I yeah, yeah. lots of challah. That's my COVID body is like 80% challah. It's a lot of, challah. A loaf of a rolls of challah. Yes, um, yes. Well, so speaking, you're, you're talking about your first book and write, when you were writing that first book again, was this a conscious thing you were thinking about writing heavily in a Jew, you know, a Jewish world or was it again, you, was it just what you knew and it was easiest to write about? Uh, it definitely wasn't easiest. Like, uh, it was, uh, I'm a compulsive rewriter, like an obsessive drafter, like yeah. those stories, you know, years and years per yeah. story. So, and, and tortured the whole way. Like I try and remember every once in a while I'll do something and be like, wait, that was fun. And I was like, remind oneself like, oh yes, there's, again, there's a different kind of fun. Like I love, mm -hmm. you know, exercise, like the gym's not fun. The bike's not fun. None of that's fun. But I was like, it's a different kind of fun where it's exhilaratingly fun. Mm -hmm. So yes, even tortured, I, there's nothing I love more than writing but no it's not it's that's that's i think the point uh that we're sticking on which is it's not a subject like that's the point it's just i it's a complete universe and i was writing about a complete universe which happens to be the lens through which i see the world and mm -hmm. and that's the point everyone's welcome to see me as jewish and open this fiction and be like wow this is the most jewish mm -hmm. thing i've ever read yeah and that's not what I'm thinking. I tell stories about people. That's what I'm saying. I'm, we, I would say we're not having a Jewish conversation, but we fully are. We're talking about being Jewish. We're two Jews but, from New York. It was inevitable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but nonetheless, like that's the point. Like it's me and you talking. It doesn't have to be. It's not a qualified kind of talk. Mm -mm. Anyone else is welcome to like tune in, being like, "Ah, uh, it's just two Jews talking." Yeah. Uh, here we, here we go. Again. It's not how I have to feel while it's happening. You know nor you. I, I don't yeah. know if I did the wrong double negative, not, neither nor. Anyway, yes. Yeah, well, 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 to stick on the Philip Roth thing, because obviously he's so easy to kind of revolve this world around. I mean, do you think maybe in your conversations with him, had he, had he ever talked about, was this something you think he dealt with? You know, I'm looking at Saul Bellows, book spines, you know, there was a, a heavy area of Jewish writers. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's why I felt like he comes up a lot when I talk, when we get to the subject, because it's ridiculous, like, to not acknowledge you know uh you know how much he was wrestling with that mm -hmm. you know over time and before i was born yeah. i mean that's the first time we had any contact was before i met him was the friend who introduced us the uh hermione lee the you know 
you know, extraordinary like thinker and biographer and, you know, who wrote the Virginia Woolf biography yeah. and the Edith Wharton biography. But I remember I'd gotten attacked in the newspaper for, you know, some like this born again person decided to like go after me for like just standard, you know, just not, yeah. I remember being so sensitive, like th when things go well, someone's, then there's the swing back, like someone just, you know, just, it was just a nonsense, you know, again, there can be a well-written attack piece and then there can be like, just, it was just a nonsense thing were that I remember. Attacking, were they attacking your writing? No, my like writing in the Jewish part, you know what I'm Got saying? It, like yeah, that yeah. idea, like picking yeah. on, you know, whatever, like the dirty laundry front. I, you know, uh, again, writers never forget. I won't say I won't, you know, thing, but I, I remember if we're talking about writers, I remember uh, I was friends with David Foster Wallace at the end of his life, but I remember him quoting at length, you know, he had such a great, but literally at length, a review verbatim, like, oh, <laughs> I forget. I do remember, but it's his, uh, uh, anyway. But the book we were talking about, he's like, and then they said this, and then he read it from his brain, every word of the mean Jeez, review. Point is, general piece, but I just remember I was freaking out, and Hermione spoke to Philip, like, and it was the I wrote it down, but it, I, it must, it's written down somewhere, because it's like, oh, it's the, the, the pre-start of our friendship. But he just said, you know, like, he'll get over it. Like, you know, just, and I just thought, like, oh, I will get over it. Like, he's already been there. Does that ever affect your work at all? I mean, are you a kind of a routine kind of guy? It doesn't make a difference what's happening. You're always going to move forward. Or do you kind of take that oh, sensitively? Uh, as I talked to you from the, you know, by the furnace with my green screen on, that's, that's, I've it been looks very that. nice. I like the chair in the background. Yeah. That's Georgia O'Keeffe's house. It's a very, <laughs> I, I don't like, uh, let, shout out to the Georgia O'Keeffe museum tour woman. I, cannot stand the museum tour. I'm always like, speed it up. You know, you know, you, uh, hop, hop to the end of that anecdote. Keep it oh, yeah. Like, I want to do a museum my own way. I can't bear it. The only museum tour I like, I've done it twice, is the George O'Keefe house. Okay. Like, uh, uh, enough it. to make it your background. Yeah, I mean, it's very calming place to me If I, while I'm here <laughs> by the furnace. But, um, uh, oh, I, I jumped away from the question. Tell me it, again. It, it was, I mean, you're talking about David Foster Wallace able to dictate. Oh, yeah, dictate. Oh, that's yeah, what I was yeah. going to tell you about being in the, in, by the furnace, which is I have worked, I've been thinking about it a lot lately, which is um, I wish, I feel I just, I turned 50 this year. Um, I'll try not to die of old age while during the interview. But um, it's, it's a weird pivot moment for me it feels really weird i did back-to-back -back books which never how it's not the way i work like that's yeah. crazy that they'll be like five years eight years were they you know, both novels years. or was one of them a short story both collection? novels both novels so dinner at the center of the earth and then this novel cottage.com i noticed with stories i always work in pairs i didn't notice it when i was writing the first book but it's you know these are the things that you know that as the years go by you learn how your brain works and i seem always working on two things and Dinner at the Center of the Earth is such a hyper-political novel where I really wanted to look at the failed peace process and Israel and Palestine. And then at the same time, I knew my brain sort of needed it. I was working on Kaddish.com, which is sort of like a mystical Jerusalem, you know, the spiritual place that belongs mm -hmm. to everyone and no one versus the fight, you know. Did you split so, up your time evenly or was it kind of like... No, not at all. I just, I learned to go back. That's why I'm working on a story now. And I literally just started an essay and a different story i'll just in the same file i'll just move down let the brain go like in a subconscious okay. manner oh but you're saying it's like i work through you know i was in israel i moved there for the peace process i like work through real violence you know super present super shook up all that stuff but i was like i always say you know 
just like literally like my window shaking from the tank fire machine, like literally the height of Intifada to at the real bloody start of it. I was like, uh, you know, you're there, you're present, you're in the world. And then I take this time to compose or, you know, uh, you know, in New York for September 11th, I think of these sharp moments, historical moments. And I have to say the, the most, the, the one that, that I find most pervasive is this, not in terms of personal feeling, not in terms of, you know, emotional commitment or political commitment or, you know, me being active as me. You're asking about composition and creativity. I find the pandemic is extraordinarily... I just finished three projects. I had a play that was supposed to open last summer, which is now obviously not open. We were like two weeks out from rehearsal. So, you know, so I had two books and then a play that's now frozen. But... um. Yeah, it was a time to start new stuff. And I find, I think I'm always tortured when I'm starting a brand new giant project, like finding my way into a book. And then I forget it. That's another nice thing of the writing life where like, once you get into it, you become obsessed and you forget Mm -hmm. how tortured you are when you were finding voice or finding structure. But I do think being in a world so extraordinarily uncertain where I've been in places, you know what I'm saying? I like wrote that Dinner with the Center Earth at Israel novel. I was in Zomba, Malawi that year and there was, I, I thankfully was food secure, but there was a famine going on. It was, I have written through extraordinarily sharp times, you know, present and connected to the world around me. And then the hours that you take to compose where you just somehow, you know, that's your sanity or a way to, you know, you know continuity to me, the same as yoga or, or religion mm-hmm. or whatever. That's what I do to keep going. And, and I, I find the like super global unknown and, and, you know, the state that America's in on top of it. I, I find this the most challenging thing to work through of my whole life. Just just because how, how do you dream a world if the world you're in is, you know, dystopian? You're in San Francisco. I was there for the fires like two years ago for an mm-hmm. event. Mm-hmm. Like I when I got back. off the plane, oh, yeah. I thought it was a, I thought it was the fog i'm used to landing in you know san francisco airport in the fog and then it was i was like oh my god this is smoke you know yeah it Um, was so yeah it's just it's dystopian and i find it and and i'm an optimist i want us to save the world but it's a critical moment and i find it yes especially overwhelming and also i'm an office writer to not leave the house i'm very thankful you know to have you know if you're food secure and have a roof over your head and you have your health now like zip it so i ain't complaining about anything but yes you know parenting in this with littles and and no i i really am an out of the house writer i i find this i'm i am working and and building steam but i find this the most confusing time to start new projects my whole life you enjoy writing outside of the house as specific i mean do you have places that you like to work specifically that you oh i was i was uh there's my dog i'm glad you have a dog it'll be dog friendly there she goes but um, protecting us. I hope oh, yeah. it's picking up. But um, oh uh, yeah, I was always I was a coffee shop writer for a million years. Love that. They just did uh, the Hungarian shout out to the Hungarian pastry shop on One Eleventh in Amsterdam. But I lived in that neighborhood for a million years solely to be you know I'd, my good friends up there. It was very much a Seinfeld setup. I always say if Kramer was a really successful pulmonologist, like you know I had my buddy on you know on the and same floor the factory. had my friend <laughs> on the corner. You know like it really really was like a Seinfeld setup. But um, yeah, I, I I wrote at the Hungarian pastry shop for a million years and in Jerusalem, Tamal Shulshom, uh David Ehrlich passed away this year who started it with his buddy Dan. Um, 
his partner. But um, yeah, I've always been coffee shop writers. And then as the years went by, I think the more I write, I think now I, I probably like mumble and laugh and read my dialogue out loud. Like mm-hmm. it probably seem in New York, that's fine. Cause everyone's mumbling and, but uh, yes, now I need private spaces. There was that they did a piece on in a, what's it called? The vulture, whatever the New York magazine thing. But yeah, the, the novelist John Ray in Brooklyn, my last office was uh, John Ray has a lovely home there and he uh, so generously lets us all take rooms. So there was oh, wow. a bunch of writers. The last years, that was the best space. It was just an extraordinary, that's my favorite office that I've ever had. It was just all of us working in John's house. Are you the kind of writer who's going to block off eight hours a day to turn off your phone, turn off the Wi-Fi, block out? Or are you the kind of writer who's 30 minutes here, 20 minutes there? And oh, no, no. I really think I see it as definitely, you know, I mean, job's not the word, but in terms, like a practice. That's why I already compared it to religion and yoga. I Like, I, I need a million hours to do my hours. You know, that was, may he rest in peace, but Frank Conroy would say to us, you know, three hours a day of composition, six days a week. Like, but I, like I believe, I believe in a pure composition block and I really work towards that. And I scream at my students, I, I'm on faculty at NYU and I yell at them all the time. Mm-hmm. Like the device stuff now, they, they've really worked hard. Like I am fully addicted now and I am working on it. Like the level of interruption I have, uh, what's it called? Not freedom. I have a different one now, but I like shut off the internet. Shut I may even buy one. My wife's like, just give me your phone. I may buy one of those phone jails. But, I, you know, in the moment where it's this with a pandemic and political upheaval, you know, we're on the edge, you know, the of an autocracy or maybe we're across it. If you talk about not transferring power, um, he gets enough time. But I'm just saying I am really addicted to the internet. And I, right now I'm off Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I'm off everything. And then I'm like, let me just look at the Reddit Pop homepage right for in. one second. Yeah. And as soon as I hit the Reddit homepage, literally like Over. dopamine, serotonin, I don't know what chemical, super rush. Like I could go down that rabbit hole. I, I find it really hard to shut down, but I desperately believe for composition that you need peace and silence. So I am much like getting back in shape. Like we have a new bit. Ba- He's one now, but I'm saying when with a, with a move and a kid, like the gym, which was central to my life, truly fell off in the move. Like I'm getting back in shape and I feel like I'm also getting back in writing shape where it's like, you must not, you know, refresh your email for 10 minutes then get it to 30, then get it to 40. Like I'm doing that stuff. And you're talking about composition specifically, right? Cause yes. earlier in the conversation, you were talking about simply just living your life and gathering information that way too, for your work, um, just existing in the world. Right. Yeah, which I find torture. Like, I know writer friends who, like, finish a book and then, like, I'm going to take some time. I'm going to take some long walks. I'm going to do some, you know, whatever it is, topiary. Yeah. Um, you know, like, this, I, this, I, you know, I'll bake some breads. I baked a lot of bread at the start of the pandemic. But I'm just <laughs> I'm not good. My wife's like, it's been 20, you know, if you start, like, even before graduate, it's probably, like, a 25-year practice. She's like, it is literally okay if you're taking the end of this crazy summer to, like, think a little bit. But yeah. I... I I, I feel so fortunate. All I, all I ever dreamed of was writing. It always felt extraordinarily impossible to do. It doesn't feel, I never take it for granted. And the notion that I'd be like fiddling with a piece or thinking and collecting ideas, that's very sort of unsettling to me. And I'm, I'm trying to sort of relax into that right now, which is like, you know, two books and a play, 
I, I keep saying in a frozen play, but nonetheless, that I did three projects. That's not called that. Frozen. <laughs> exactly. But uh, not, I, I, uh, I saw Frozen. On, it oh. was excellent, I have yeah. to say. Uh, with my daughter and her friend, I did not go by myself. Uh -huh. oh, you're welcome to. I went to Disney. There's grownups there alone. I'm interested <laughs> in that, but nonetheless. Anyway, but uh, yes, uh, I, I, I'm trying to feel comfortable with absorbing this moment and trying to make sense enough of where we are in the world to, yes, to dig into these other projects. And, and, and once you have that project in your head, it's kind of just straightforward. You're, that, that's what you're locked on. I'm, I'm bad enough at email, and I'm so thankful for like the people at my publisher at Canop my publish and vintage for you know 20 years now and whatever where they'll have to like i'll not answer nine times and they're like yeah. you know you're talking to michael in the like please just so i'm bad enough at like email yeah. i'm unfindable i don't answer my all that stuff but um yeah once it takes over then i like then i have to remember to like try to have like uh good hygiene like brush your teeth or like eat you know i just yeah, yeah, well, yeah, now, yeah. I, sadly i don't forget to eat candy bars but I'm just saying that I, yeah, once it takes over, then it's like so all consuming. And I say to my students, because that's a beautiful thing to me about the creative process. Once, like once the book takes over, then it feels like good fortune and miraculous. Everything you do in the world, I'm like, did you say five month old puppy? That's a miracle. Cause I was looking for the age of a puppy for my, oh, like, and it's, but, and I talk about this with a lot of authors. It's being able to just take all that extra stuff that's coming around you and being able to take little snippets and just use it for your own work. Like um, I was talking to Rebecca Mackay and she was talking yeah. about standing in oh, line. She's at, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Standing in line at a Starbucks and how boring that could be. But at the same time, when a character walks in and stands behind you, you could turn around and be like, that was just the character, right? Or changing a character to make it be like that person. Uh, yeah, it just, you feel lit that way and then it all pours in. And then yeah. I, I'm, I'm a big editor. Like I come, I'm you, I like, I'm obsessed with compression, you know? So that's mm -hmm. it. All that stuff feeds mm -hmm. in. And I'm like, okay. Cutting the shit out. Yeah. And then there's 34 pages on, you know, whatever it is on a, on a fire hydrant. And then I'm yeah. like, I'm going to keep the puppy and lose the fire hydrant. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, did that take you? Because I'm a fairly new writer and I'm just getting over the ego of getting rid of sh old shit when you're going through drafts of things. Did it take you a long time to get comfortable with just cutting stuff out that wasn't working? I, I'm, I think I've always, you know, uh, a friend says it about me that, you know, which I appreciate it. Like you said it like 20 years ago, but I always think about it where he's like, you know, sort of like Nate writes. Okay. But he rewrites like a motherfucker. Yeah. You know, like, and I feel like that's where I do my real work. So for oh, yeah. me early on, it was very clear. I, I know that's where my work gets done. So, so Definitely. it was very early for me, but I, I guess I don't understand people. Don't you want something to find its truest form? Like I keep a graveyard of all that's, or it's not a graveyard. It's more like a show, oh, a limbo space, like a zombie. Like I keep all, like I keep those lines. I keep those mm -hmm. chapters. Like sometimes you go back and grab yeah. one, but I don't understand the piece should be what it needs to be. Like I, I don't, I, I think it's a strange, I don't care about your time. I don't care about your efforts. I care about only the story. And I don't understand why if you have, even if it's a, pretty strong joke or a pretty stunning description that we don't need why you would want to have a worse piece because mm -hmm. of your vanity that you need mm -hmm. to have it in there uh, darren strauss has a new book out the novel uh queen of tuesday his new book is out but uh you know there's these wonderful interstitials that, like these little tiny pieces of you know 
memoirist stuff, a paragraph, a page. And I told him how much I love them. And I knew he'd written like, you know, whatever it is. He had like a 500 page book version of the book. And this is the 250 page version. And, you know, I think it was more like 600 and 300, but you know, his uh, editor got him to cut out the 300 that don't fit. And this thing that makes that I really love in his book is 300 pages cut down to like, I think he got to use like eight. (laughs) But I'd say like, would you want some slog of a novel that, you know, I remember him telling me I hadn't read it yet. And I said, like, listen to your editor friend. If someone finds a cut that that big, there's something there, you know, and his book is so much better for these little pieces in there. And I can't even imagine where you'd be like, oh, this book should have been the alternate universe where you'd be like, man, this should have been half as long and I'm out of here. I, I like to think I'm a reader first. Yeah. And, you know, there's a couple of books that I have, I already mentioned his name and we're talking about it specifically, but I had to put down two of his books, Saul yeah. Bellows. I think yeah. Saul Bellow is a amazing writer. Yeah. But when I was reading Herzog, there are parts of this book. I'm just like, what am I doing? And then I loved it. I kind of put it down to the side. I'm like, you know, maybe it's just me. Let me get up. Let me get Humboldt's gift. And I picked up Humboldt's gift and I'm reading. I'm like, this is just me. I'm like, there's a hundred pages of, of this book that could have just been cut out. Well, that like, I never. Yeah. No, you know, continue. I mean, if you did, please disagree with me. I mean, no, no, talk, no. I never yeah. talk. I'm like, I always say I look like a bad taste reader. Because I'm so polite. I'm like the meanest, meanest reader. But I never say, you know, we'll be going around the table. I'll be like, I loved it, even if I hated it. Like, I'm just so sensitive about writers' lives. But it's Humboldt's gift like that. That's the professor one. Uh, like, it's, it's, it's it, the, the, the tone. It, that's an interesting one for me. Like, it's, you know, people are based on people. Uh, it's not the kindest tone. I'm very interested in the in uh, in the tone of that novel. I go back oh, to yeah. it a lot to look at the way he talks about that professor and the way. I mean, it's it's genius know, this, writing. I mean, it's a narrator, but it's. I'm saying it's pretty intense. It's a yeah. tough. And, and then, I'm, and then you also, but well, then you also mention in the in the opposite side of this. You know, would Infinite Jest have been the book it was that they had cut out? the 500 pages that might've been cut out of that. But I mean, you know, so like, no, this is, I, I just, I, I guess this is where I, I am always turning to my religious self, which is things books are perfect to me. That was a weird thing. Did my voice just break? <laughs> books are perfect to me, uh, but they are perfect to me. Like they, they take on their true form. So that's it. I just feel like part of the experience, like there are pacing issues. Like they need, I don't know, once a book is bound and published, you know, when it's in its final form and whether that's, as I said, kindled and published or whatever it is. But I I think if it's working, then that's what it needed to be. Like, I don't, if I loved it, then I won't think, you know what I'm saying? I I love Moby Dick and I want 400 pages (laughs) of reflection about about industrialization. You you want to be the same book. No, yeah, I, I, that's what I always think. Or like Murakami, I always go back to the Wind Up Bird Chronicle. Uh-huh. I'm like, did you make spaghetti and then drop us into a pit for a hundred pages out of mm-hmm. nowhere and then just hop back? And I was like, I guess I really, like, I love that book. And I was like, I yeah. guess we needed to do that. Well, well, one of the books I read recently that's the total opposite of this, that kind of got my blood flowing in a way it hadn't really, um, I don't know if you, maybe you don't read this stuff and it was the first book I had read in a while. Um, AJ Finn's The Woman in the Window. 
And uh, have you heard of that book? No. Okay. Um, it was pretty popular like a year or two. I think they're making a movie out of it. Yeah, yeah. But it's like a it's a straight ahead suspense thriller. And yeah. the way he writes is some you know some chapters are two pages, right? And yeah. it's you know three three words to a sentence, and you're kind of like always on the edge of your seat. Yeah. And there's a part of me that likes that read that that kind of book and that kind of reading. But like you're saying, there's also going to be a part of me where I want to be dropped in that spaghetti bowl. And yeah, yeah. kind of, you know, look around at what the fuck is actually going on in here. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's amazing how some authors really, is it a style thing you think? Is it kind of just, they want to say it, they're going to say it. Um, yeah. Uh, oh. Uh, like when we're talking about writing style, it's it's a, an 1100 page book, like show. It's a style book. thing when it's working mm-hmm. and then it's, mm-hmm. and then it's an editing problem when it's not like yeah. that. That's the whole point. Yeah. You know? Do you, I mean, have you had people in, in your, in your, you know, authors that you're friends with, is this a common thing to run into editors who are, it's a kind of a push and a pull and you you know, you really want well, to, I, I guess I, I never understand that. Like I, I see, you know, my obligation so much to story. The idea, if you're getting to work with someone who gets you, like that's yeah. thrilling to me. I always say like another, you know, thing that I scream at the students from like, it's just, yes, no, maybe I am hypersensitive once the book comes out. Then I'm like this delicate flower, you know, if anyone, you know, if even a like, you know, big compliment, if like there's something I'll like find something in it to like take, you know, have my feelings hurt. I'm really, but when, when I'm working on something, it's a project and I just want to hear everything. So for me, it's just, I, I don't understand the idea if you're working with the right person who like gets your work, why you wouldn't want to, that's like gold. And that's the whole point. I mean, I'm jealous of the TV people to have like a writer's room. Even, you know, I said that to the actors and like, we had a workshop, not, you know, we didn't start final rehearsal, but we did a week of workshop last December in New York. And I was like, God, I wish I had you all at home. Like, I'd love it. The idea to have all these people reading your lines and, you know, the actors challenge you, not just the director. I'm saying the actors will be like, why am I saying this? I'm like, this is, yeah, it's very isolating, you know, novel and short story writing. The idea that someone comes in, like Jordan Pavlin has been my editor this whole time. She's just a genius. And yeah, if she gives me a thousand comments, I, I take 995 straight off. You know, I argue five, I give mm-hmm. it on four. And then I know the one that I'm fighting for, like, that's what I'm saying. Back to that extra hundred pages in a book or whatever. If I really, I say yes to everything because everything makes the story better. And if mm-hmm. I can't say yes to it, I really think about it. And so, yes, I'm sure there are people, I have friends who wrestle with editors, but I feel like somebody shouldn't be with somebody if it's such a, if it's such a fight or you need to take a look at why you can't, you know, definitely reflect on your own work before we got cut off you were talking about um well really the words you write now being spoken out from actresses mouths right yeah yeah no i i did a so my first play like this story just has been with me my whole life it was the one i sent to grad school and the one you know was like the first and it was the first story in my first collection anyway the story the 27th man which then became my first play which opened at the public theater in, I don't know, like 2012 or something. But uh, where's the oh, public theater? The public theater in New York. Oh, it's in the city. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, that's, I mean, that's like, that's, you know, Joseph Papps there. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. The public is for people, it's Shakespeare and the park mm-hmm. is them, chorus line. Uh, 
a little known play called Hamilton, which has done quite well. Point is this, there's just legendary stuff. Yeah, they're, they're amazing. Amazing, amazing. Under the Radar Festival, love me the public. Um, so, oh yeah, I just, that process was just fascinating. Yeah. I mean, the writing life, it's, I, I guess I'm, I'm so focused about it and obsessive. Like I was always like, I only write literary short fiction, like just short stories. And then I was like short stories and novels, like, but mm. only fiction. The idea of like changing forms. I was like, I'm not a playwright in any of that stuff. Um, but yeah, learning the form. I mean, I'm still obviously learning the form. It's just fascinating, but getting to switch and have to learn just, just a whole extraordinarily different set of rules. Like oh, yeah. I would say the tightest, tightest, tightest short story in the world, you know, that your eyes will bleed from boredom on stage. It's just the timing's different. The dialogue works differently. The rules of drama work differently, like mm -hmm. how characters transform, nuance, subtlety, all that stuff. So I, I just, that was a life-changing experience, not only the, you know, experience with the play, but it changed the way I write fiction. So when I had the opportunity to write, you know, and have a second play produced, I, you know, jumped on the chance. So it, yes, it's, it's, I just love that room. I love working with people. I love all the brains. Like it's just, I, I, you know, with a fiction writing, I got to build the sets and I've got to do the weather and the, you know, and the lighting and I'm a costumer. You know, it's everything is just you. This notion that like other people, just brilliant, brilliant people are, are building it with you is, I just love the community of it and I love the, the intensity of it. And I love the real time of it. It also, I think, you know, even for me having back-to-back -back books, I think it just changed the way I execute some. I mean, you'll be there in the director. This is, I'm working with Barry Edelstein again, who's amazing, who's the, uh, um, the artistic director at the amazing Old Globe Theater in San Diego. But, you know, it's that idea where if something's not working, you know, Barry will be like, okay, let's take five, you mm -hmm. know, give me three jokes. Yeah. Like, I never do that kind of work where I'm like, you have five minutes and people are going to hear them in real time. Like even that room, you know what I'm saying? Oh, Just yeah. wanting to be like, I guess I need a laugh and I need it in five minutes and it has to fit right into this spot. That's super tight. Mm -hmm. I've got a crowbar, a joke in there that has to not feel crowbarred in. And you think it's like being like a TV writer or something like that. Yeah. Maybe more like a stand up. you know, okay. I mean, maybe it'll be like, make everybody cry. You have five, but that's it. I remember, you know, nights where I'm like, uh, I think, you know, when you look at all the writers who've been journalists and stuff like that, how much I, I'm always, you know, admiring of friends who were journalists because I'm like, oh, they learned to close. Yeah. You know, I, I, I like I had a I just had a piece in the Globe and Mail up here, not really a, a news oriented one, but it's like I've written op-eds for the Times. And I remember the first time where I'm like, oh, you know, back to learning to fall in love with forums. Like I want to write an op-ed for the New York Times. Like I have these opinions and I'd like yeah. to share them. And I remember sending the first one in that I worked so hard on and getting like a nice note back of like, oh, this is really nice and really would have been good two weeks ago when it was news. I was like, oh, I guess you can't work yeah, on a boom, boom, boom. Yeah, yeah. Like you can't write, respond to the news two weeks later. So, yeah. so I think it's like a stand up, like a tight five or something like that, where it's like, you're going to go and something's happening. You're like, then, you know, there was somebody's, you know, joke last night that a friend texted me after the bait, you know, like fly lands on Mike Pence's head. And then somebody sends me this guy. I'm like, oh, 
that's a joke writer. Mm -hmm. Like it literally just happened. Mm -hmm. And this comedian like got that joke out there. Like I, I could feel the process. Like he sat down and he wrote 50 of these. Oh yeah. It's, Picked his best one and it killed, and he sent it out. But anyway, well, but a comedian, a, a, you know, and I feel like that gets a lot. Too. I'm a big fan of stand-up comedians, but comedians are writers too. They're writing. Yeah, no, I'm obsessed. Out. I'm obsessed with comedy writing right now. I'm just just the process. I've been listening. There's a. Uh, do we shout out to other podcasts? Or oh, definitely, kind of, yeah. Why not? Okay, like me, writers, where you're like, you know, uh, I always be like, well, what, what was it called? Another writer. Oh, it's called the Good One Podcast. But okay. Uh, but when you love an episode, I truly love it. If, like they start, he starts with a joke and then like he plays the comedian's joke and then they unpack it for like an hour. That's it, awesome. Yeah. yeah I, that's I just, great. It's a really good, I, anyway, I like to hear about process, you know, why I'm excited to do your podcast. I like to talk about, you know, uh, I was going to say, I've never, by the way, when you're talking like this, it's so out of body. I'm like, how the sausage gets made. I'm like, I have heard that phrase. I've never said it before, mm -hmm. but I'm saying it now. Um, oh, what I wanted to say to you about like not even closing in the moment, like needing to close, like we're in rehearsal that New York week and we spend say three days of a five day workshop reading through the play with the actors. And on, you know, on Friday, we're going to have a public reading and we've now worked Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and everything's union. You don't get extra hours. It's to the minute. We're taking a 10. Oh I, yeah. <laughs> you know, back to not having a real job where I'm sitting now, as I said, I hope you can hear the furnace turned on. I hope <laughs> people will hear that in the background a little, the mic shouldn't pick it up, but maybe it will. It, it, but, it's um, coming out of the little uh, stereo system that we yeah, see. Exactly. But, um, uh, so like we get to Wednesday and this thing that I, I'm a fiction writer that I've worked on you know, I, that I've been rewriting for the last, you know, six or seven months at that point, just seven months of rewriting, you know, plays not that long, just round the clock. And we get there and the endings just, it doesn't hit. It hits uh -huh. on paper, like back to different forms. It was working on paper for me and the people who read it. And for the director, when it got said out loud, I'm like, this is not, Wow. you know, the director. That's why when you talk about the editing process, you don't have to tell me I'm there. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Like, is everybody crying? Like, you're supposed to have the wind knocked out of you now. And that idea that it's like, that I stay after with the director and we, we just talk and try and figure it out and then go home with the own homework where this thing that's years into writing and months into rewriting and that we're going to have the first, you know, public read of on Friday. I've got one night and it's like, find the ending, you know, make it work. And I just... To me, that's dizzying as a novelist. And I love that I can stay calm and I'm like, I will write till dawn. Like <laughs> I have till 10 a.m. to get these pages. I was like, it's just going to be a long night and you'll go hour by hour. And to me, that was such a good craft lesson that like, just not to panic. Like I was just like, I'm just going to sit here. We're in an Airbnb with my you know wife and, and the baby's real. Like I have a six month old then and a <laughs> four year old then. Like I'm like, everyone's, you know, I'm just going to sit out here at this, you know, Ikea Airbnb counter. <laughs> and just, and just like that idea where I was like, it's midnight, you know, and the director, he's such a, Barry's so dedicated. You know, I get a, you know, a text from him at one in the morning or two in the morning, like, how's it going? Like he's waiting. And it just, I don't, I don't remember. I must've written it down somewhere or noted, but yeah, probably around, you know, somewhere between one and three. Like, I'm like, I got it. I guess I get uh -huh. to it for a couple of hours. Like that, that is such a good lesson for a fiction writer to just that you, that even the, like these things that could seem impossible. I'm like, you know, if it was a book, I'd be like, this may take six months. 
like that idea that I have a night and that you, your brain can find it in a mm-hmm. night if it needs to. Mm-hmm. Well, to go back, um, you said you had you, you had a lot of reverence for your friends who were journalists before they started yes. writing. I spoke recently. Do you know Eowyn Ivy? Um, no. she, she wrote a book. Uh, well, sim- you were nominated for a Pulitzer Prize. Um, yes, she, her, her novel, The Snow Child, um, yeah. had been nominated for a Pulitzer, I think, in 2012 or 13. Yeah. But she spent 10 years as a, as a journalist before she yeah. wrote any fiction. Yeah. And the way she talked about it was she was like, that was just sharpening. My, it was like, you had to come into work. You had a deadline every day. Boom, boom, boom. Get it done. Next day, do the same thing. And yeah. she said for her work, that helped her with her discipline a lot. Yeah, uh, for sure. And I'm super going to read Snow Child now. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry that I haven't read it yet. Yeah, you yeah, know, that's where I shine as a TV raise. That's where I shine is falling behind on books. It's so tough. I mean, it's so tough. Like, I, um, you know, Richard Powers. Uh, yeah, yeah. So he wrote a uh, he wrote that book, The Overstory. Yeah, sure. Um, and I'm trying to get him on the podcast, and I'm talking to him via email. And he literally lives in like Southern Appalachia. He has like no service, and you know. And the things I want to ask him about that book was just like you know, kind of the same thing. Just you know, he lives in Southern Appalachia. A O and Ivy lives in like the wilderness of Alaska. Um, yeah. You know, and they live in these super isolated places and they write about super isolated places um, by you living in New York. You know, you're living in a living, breathing world that's giving you characters all the time. Yeah. Um, I, I'm curious if for her and I would ask her again as being a journalist, which, she, you know, living with such little um, visual stimulation, is she able to really just pick out like, you know a tree rustling on the branch and then she can go. But that's, I said everything like there's a plus and minus to everything. Like it's a diehard New Yorker. I love it, but I, I'm sure it increased my anxiety like tenfold, just, you know, that speed that I love or living Mm -hmm. in a big pile of writers that I loved, you know, like this, I mean, Toronto, I was just starting to get into the scene here when like, just literally starting to like, I, I still hold this one dinner invitation. I was so excited about that that got, you know, COVID canceled. But, um, I, you know, I think about that, like I, I wouldn't have finished, you know, I wrote that rewrite of that uh, Dinner at the Center of the Earth novel, like I said, in Zomba, just sitting on the Zomba plateau, like, which runs at a very, very different speed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like everything is a gift and a, a challenge, like in terms of space. So, yeah, I, I think sometimes... You know, it's crazy for writers to live in New York. It's so expensive. It's so challenging, all that stuff. But it's also, as you said, like very invigorating. But I, I, uh, I, I am embrace change often. And as said, like as someone in a new city now and on lockdown often in that new city, it's like, yeah, I think that quiet also feeds usually. There's a reason, you know, uh, so, I mean, that you know, so many writers split their time, but I don't know if I do good with extreme isolation without a cap on it. You lived in Israel for a couple of years? Uh, a, a bunch, like five straight. And, you know, there was a, oh, wow. you know, five or six or, you know, more than that. And you, were, and you were writing during that time, correct, right? Yeah, that's where I went right after. It was like within two weeks of, of uh, finishing my MFA, I like just, Leo, ba- oh, it's thank you for that transition. As I was like stumbling trying to get that point out, <laughs> but 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 it it really was a thing where it's like living in this you know hive of writers in grad school where you're just all you know together and just feeling it deeply and you know this 
it was really competitive. And then to just pick up and go to a place where I was not connected and, uh, you know, just start a life there again, like, the, you know, wanting to be in a city that to me was really exciting. Uh, I know everyone loves Tel Aviv, but it was the peace process time. And I, I just wanted to be in Jerusalem. And yeah. it was this really exciting time that, you know, also was a very violent time. But nonetheless, yeah, I just wanted to do my work. And I was like, I didn't have any plans for it to work out. You know, I had dreams, but I really did think it was impossible. But I was also dedicated to the process. Like, that's all I cared about was writing. It just seemed that, yes, that change was super fruitful for me to just go there and live extraordinary simply. And it's different if you can't get work. I don't know if I could have gotten work, but to be, you know, broke by choice is a, you know, a different thing than, than. To, oh, big time. You know. so, I, I, yeah. I, yeah. I, I moved here to join a rock and roll band nine years ago and I yeah. did. Um, and I toured for like five or six years and I got Ooh. into writing about two, three years ago, but you're right. It's a different thing to be broke by choice. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Like, I don't like fake, you know, my wife's really, especially considering her, uh, work she does educational policy study and anthropology but but yeah she doesn't like fake complaints of you know uh yes there are people who are face real challenges i'm yes i am yeah i'm oft reminded but uh, yes that was a time where it was like you know just living really really basically by choice to just work i just wanted to you know polish up those stories yeah um you're you know what i find super interesting about you is you you know and correct me if i'm wrong but you kind of started in the short story realm yeah and then you moved to novels were yeah. you always writing long form fiction before or what did you start writing no, short i mean i'm sure before? like i'm sure i you know yeah who knows what i was doing like in high school and stuff yeah. when i you know hundreds of pages of who knows what yeah but um yeah no i i mean that was it like in college yeah i definitely oh my god uh my wife and back to you know john ray the this is a uh, I'm literally erasing. I'm not even going to tell you any of it because it's so embarrassing, but we were packing up to move to Toronto and my wife found like my, this horrible novel that I wrote junior year of college, like a real, you know, 1920, you know, embarrassing, heartfelt novel that, you know, written in like four to 10 weeks, like that mm -hmm. kind of thing. But yeah, I've never seen, it was at my expense. I have never seen two people laugh harder than they did like flipping through that. So oh, yeah. no, but yeah, once I, once I decided like, I'm going to do this, I'm dedicating my life to writing fiction. It was the story. I really love that form. And it was the story that I was dedicated, you know, uh, obsessed wholly with short fiction. Yes. For years. And then knew I wanted to write novels after. So, you know, I don't feel forced. I don't care about anything. Like I, I missed the deadline on my second book. Probably I was like, uh, it's just, you know, in a Monty Python way. It's only five or six years late. I hope that's not a problem. I think I was six years late. Were you reading short story collections or was it kind yes, of- Yes, yeah, uh -huh. yeah. What yeah, were you reading? Devouring. Everything I get my hands on, like yeah. just, yes. Like John Cheever, all that kind of stuff. Oh, I love, you know, back to changing canons and all that stuff. But uh, yes, reading broadly and widely, but like they're, they're, you know, I love, I still make students read Cheever a lot. Uh -huh. You know, my main Cheever point is- uh. Cheever you know, point <laughs> yeah, is that he, uh, you know, he probably like, I don't know what, if he still holds the record, like he was just pumping out stories for oh, the New yeah. Yorker, but in terms of, you know, what it needs, if you're going to have a regular short story out there, like, I just feel like people, I call it like out sophisticating themselves. 
where they're too cool to tell you what the fuck is happening in a story. And I'm like, I know this is really slick and sophisticated, but I literally don't know what's happening. No fucking clue. Yeah. Yeah. And and what I love about Cheever is he will just always say like, you know, Michael and Nathan were talking. They are two Jews. Like he is in Toronto. Michael's in, you know, they both are in black office chairs and Nathan is rocking right to left, you know, Mm -hmm. repeat like just everyone you open it. And I was like, Oh, you would be self-conscious to type it. Like if you were like grad student, you'd be like, Oh, this is embarrassingly obvious. It's so weird. Yeah. And then, but when you read the story, you don't notice anything except that it reads like butter and it's just, I know who's in the room. I know what the room looks Mm -hmm. like. You know, sometimes I see the non-working version where they're like, you know, his nose was like a walnut and his ears were dangling. You know, it's like you don't have to describe every face of oh. every bird. Sometimes that sticks out for me and kills me. But Cheever is just like the maestro of just setting the scene again mm-hmm. and again and again. So, yes, I think like that's, you know, you want to take a class. You don't want to pay for school right now. Like I just always say, like, read the collected stories of John uh, Cheever, like. Yeah, you know, get the Borchas, get the Flannery O'Connor, like just you know whatever, whatever you want, you know, yeah. get Shy Agnone, like do the Calvino, like whatever, you know, whatever, just go, 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 you know. I I wrote a short story, my first short story about a year ago, um, and submitted it to the New Yorker, and you know got rejected. All good, but it, what I did was, um, I, you know, Adam Johnson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he actually lives like four blocks from me. I, I feel like I talk about this dude every fucking podcast. Yeah. But he wrote he wrote uh, Fortune Smiles, a collection yeah. of short stories. Um, and that had been the first collection I had read in a long time. And having never written a short story in my life, like seeing that form and now knowing how to write myself and teach myself writing um, – I kind of fell in love with it and I wrote like two more short stories. Um, and now I've been on like a big short story king. I'm, I'm going to pull it up now. I'm, I'm about to finish. Uh, have you read this? I knew where you were headed. I yeah, was just so- going to say, I, I, I wish I had said uh, like, you know, when do we get to Jesus' son? That, that was came out. Was it came out in like ninety two or ninety? I'm looking. I'm, I, I could look. Yeah, yeah. It was definitely before Tree of. It was his first book, I think. No, 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 no. There was, was it? Uh, uh, no. He he had uh, a few books. I think he needed some cash and had a deal. Oh, with yeah, you're FSG right. right. And like put this collection. Like it has a really awesome badass Dennis Johnson origin story. You're right. Thank you. Uh, Ninety-two, yeah, because I started grad school in ninety-four, and that was like our Bible. That mm-hmm. was, I read. That's the book. I've. I mean, I love Camus' the play. I'd say the book. The I don't read quickly enough to go back to books because I can't uh, afford yeah. it. I mean, I'm doing it a little also during the pandemic just to get my brain back. Yeah. Like, but uh, but in general, I don't reread books. I I used to reread the play because I love that so much, and mm-hmm. I reread Jesus' Son because I, mean, I love it so so and, and, so much. And you're, but it's talking about you know. He did this. They're in the car. They're doing, and these stories are, are kind of like that because I mean, some of these stories are only seven pages long. Yeah, um, they're very short for short stories. Uh, but yeah, that whole world of just in a short story, get you have to. It's like it's like journalism. You got to get to the point, kind of. Yeah. Um, and the endings of short stories have always kind of fascinated me. Um, I, I feel like some books, you know, they really wrap it up well. They, it's how it is. Sometimes they don't, but short stories for the most part, I feel like kind of just cap it off. Now it's over, bada bing, yeah. bada boom. 
Um, do you like to write that? Do you like to end your stories that way? Do you not end your stories? I don't believe in like a too tight a knot. Like this is, uh, I'm, I'm like pausing. Cause I'm like, th- this is where the podcast, what you'll just cut off. You'll just slowly <laughs> move the puppy and, <laughs> and, no, and don't amble worry, away. Don't well, I'm just, I'm, I have like, I deeply believe in a fictional reality being a reality and how it yeah. gets constructed. I have an, a nine hour theory that I will spare you on this notion. Next podcast. I, I, I like this idea of like reality moving out that, that you have to, a story like needs this. It needs absolutely like you have to have this closure and I think it should knock the wind out of you. But on both fronts is like, I don't like it tied up too neatly because that's unreal. Like we don't get, you know, I say this conversation, you and I are meeting now. So mm-hmm. this, there's what, what hopefully makes it of remote interest to someone is like two people communicating what we're missing all this stuff. Yeah. I like negative space. And I also, when I say I want the wind knocked out of you, I really do want this like deep, you know, I, I want you to be changed as a person forever when a story is done. But I also, one must be careful. There's one collection that was also like, really big during my grad school days where I feel like it was overly epiphonic where I'm like, it was too neatly, you know, the, the, there was, you know, it was like, and epiphany, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's infinity pit, pitfalls to talk about, but yes, I love this compressed time, this compressed experience. And then this just, you know, sort of, yeah. Life changing. I, I feel changed when I finish stories. I, I really, I, I really do believe in that form where I feel like there's as many stories that have affected me and altered who I am as a person. Like maybe, maybe there are more stories than novels that have done that. I, I really do love that form. And again, I've just been away from it for years. I'm really excited to like, it feels like starting at square one. I'm sure that knowledge is in there, but as I get back into story shape, mm-hmm. it's really like, I, I feel like I'm learning it all over again. Have you ever been working on a story and thought maybe it can get into a novel or you can blast it off into a longer form? Oh, I have two things like back to mentioning, like it, it, mentioning uh, Roth, but I remember once he liked a story, you know, that he'd uh, read in the New Yorker and he's like, this should be a novel. And I was like, and that takes us right back to grad school where I'm like, that is a compliment that I appreciated. He was but talking I, about your work. Yeah, yeah. But he uh, read the story. He's like, oh, you should totally write this into a novel. And I was like, thank you very much. Because in grad school, there had been a story where, you know, there had been support. And I was like, oh, this should be a novel. And then I spent six months mm-hmm. writing it into a novel. And then I'm like, well, now I know what the next draft of the story needs to be. <laughs> and I, I learned that that's a compliment, which is if it needs to be a novel, it will be a novel. If I write it as a short story, that's because I can contain it with a short story. Yeah. And if someone finishes that short story and wishes there was more and says this should be a novel, then that's a really lovely compliment uh-huh. and not to be mistaken as the need to take something that you executed in 15 pages and now executed in 500 pages. Again, well, just- some sometimes that changes. Jumping off points, I forget which play it is. Like maybe there's like, the glass menagerie, the short story, like, you know, and I was like, wow, that's a crazy notion. Like, and I know I, I, both of the plays that I have, I've written off short stories and I feel like, is it Faulkner was, was, uh, what's it called? Barn burning. Um, Um, what do you mean? The short story. I feel like the, 
the Snopes trilogy, like that became the Hamlet. I love those books. I feel like maybe those started as that one short story and then became a trilogy. Mm-hmm. If something grows great. If it grows in your brain and then needs to be something else also amazing, you know, back to when we're talking about short stories, I didn't get to mention, which I just um, was thinking about, but the uh, good fortune I had to study with James Allen McPherson, like his collection, Elbow Room, which is so amazing and important. But, uh, oh, but like Marilyn Robinson, where this idea grew into, you know, just book after book. Like, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, you know, I love watching an idea grow in someone's mind like that, you know, in a, like these literary series of books. It's, it's like a gorgeous notion. But no, I don't think, uh, you know, every story needs to grow into a novel. That's for mm-hmm. sure. Well, since we're talking, I mean, you know, it seems to be a Philip Roth kind of day. Um, I'll talk forever about him. Uh, I'm reading yeah. now for the first time. Uh, have you read The Breast? Uh, I have not. Uh, I admit I have not read that one. Okay. So that is his play off of Metamorphosis by Frank yes. Kafka. Yeah. And yes. he, instead of turning into a, a beetle, a man. Yeah, yeah. I know. The, I know. Oh, what you should say for the listeners. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Uh, the so giant what, Freudian. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I'm reading that, and I'm like, you know, there's no way this could be a novel. There's this is a this is a, a perfect novella. I mean, even if it was yeah. a short story, yeah. it would not have been able to give off that kind of thing. So it's the formatting of of writing is super. It's super interesting because yeah. again, you know, you can drag something on that doesn't need to be a novel. Yes. Um, and you know, and you're saying it's a compliment to hear someone say, "Oh, well, this could be a novel." Yeah, that's it. You want more? It's like that idea. You know, I love, uh, let us jump to the British sitcom. Like, mm. that's the point. Like, I love, you know, the original British office. Like, I yeah. love one of their faulty towers. Are there like 13 episodes? A show can end. Like, just because everyone's excited, like, come up with your next show. But those extra mm-hmm. five, those jump the shark seasons, like, we could be spared. Like, why not oh, build yeah. a perfect thing? You know, that that's all. It t- it, it, again, television, I guess, is, it's a different thing, right? Because they have seasons yeah. and they have episodes. They got to fill that yeah. stuff up. I mean, uh, you know, Sopranos, is, I think, is the greatest show ever made. Yeah. And, you know. I want to rewatch that. I've only. Oh, friend, friends just did their, uh, you know, L.A. friends just did their COVID Sopranos rewatch. Oh, I mean. It, so, like, we talked about before. Like, I was born in Queens, but I grew up in northern New Jersey. I mean, I grew up where they filmed that. Sh- literally yeah. filmed in my backyard. That's um, awesome. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you know, there are episodes of that show where you're just kind of like, it didn't have to happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they could have just, but they have twelve episodes. They gotta do things and write yeah. things and you know yeah. fill up space. And I feel like you know some authors that I know, um, you know, I'm a big word count guy. I don't go by pages. I don't know. And people ask me all the time, you're like, oh, how long is this book you're writing on? And I'm like, well, you know, right now it's like 90,000, 100,000 words. And they can't see that. They can't, you know, if you're not a yeah. writer, they can't, they see pages yeah. in a book. Um, and people want to see a big, thick book and, you know, yeah. with a big cover. And I'm like, it doesn't always work that way, you know, I mean. And I think there's there's audiences for everything. Like, you, that's the nice freeing thing. Like, you know, is is you can only do your work. And that's like, that's the unique voicing and the beauty of it. Like, you know, for, yeah. I mean, every once in a while, people want the doorstop, but, uh, you know, then there's also, like, like I, I hadn't read forever. I just never read it. I remember meeting, you know, anyway, whole long, embarrassing story. But anyway, but, um, Wait, who, oh, yeah, like, we, we, we oh, just in grad school, like, I, I always say that whenever a writer's, like, feelings are hurt, when a friend's like, oh, that person, when people are really sensitive, I just remember being, like, a long-haired, you know, grad student, like, 
you know, standing alone in a kitchen with Coetzee, like holding a beer, a beer and having no idea who he was. It'd be like, so you write too, brah? You know, like I had Wait, to, talking to who? Like J.M. Coetzee. The, the, oh my God. Yeah, but I'm saying like, I just was 20 and I was like the indignities of, he's like, well, Nice to meet you. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna win the Nobel Prize in like oh eight hours. Oh my god! But the point is, yeah, I I finally read those. That's what I'm saying. Like, I love, I love a short novel. Like, I, you know, back to like, you know, Camus. You know, the fall, the plague. But I love oh, yeah. like Otsia. Those short, not like to me. I think there's a, you know, there's people for every person. Like that's why you can only do your work for every person who wants the fat book. There's someone like me who loves a tight punchy like i love a novel that should really be called a long short story like i love those i just yeah wanna, um, I, a I, great I, book i read recently she's actually an sf author and it's the same thing you know it's it's labeled a novel but it's really a novella um ro kwan she wrote a book called the incendiaries oh i know um, that one yeah yeah, yeah. and it, it, you know it's a 200 page novel but you yeah. read it and it reads kind of like a really long short story and she would even say in her own interview that it's not really a novel um yeah. But yeah, it, you know, the formatting of it all is interesting. And I think as a writer, you kind of just got to know when it's done. Uh, yeah. And, and you can get help with that. That's why I always also, you know, when I'm teaching, I'm like, you know, you don't have to call it stories. Don't call Don't call it anything. Don't pick yeah. a genre. Like just build your weird, individual, yeah. unique, special thing. And someone else, I said, the only thing not to do, I only have one tip you know which is don't lie and then call it you know a memoir like ah. you know just call it a novel like that's there's only that's the only thing don't represent as truth what is not true like make a fictional truth you know but like mm -hmm. i don't think it's that hard and don't pretend to be who you're not like don't, yeah. don't you know like yeah it's, it's it's pretty simple and it's an art form right so you're supposed to have fun with it you're supposed to be able to go down places you never thought you would go and be fictional with it but you're right at the same time it's like be level-headed about it and I, kind yeah, of I, all, all i want you to do is is to repeat uh the, the the fun part as as you say it i'm like taking notes here i'm like i'm gonna read this these books that i hadn't uh, read yet and then also <laughs> i'm like have fun with it for the rest of my writing day. I'm I'm already glad to talk to you, but uh, to get reminded at the start of a writing day that I'm actually not supposed to be pulling out my hair the whole time. Maybe I'll take like five minutes and be like, oh yeah, riff, have fun. Amazing. I love it, dude. I, I got to end it because I have to go yeah. to work. Yeah. Uh, this has been awesome. Can you let people know? Are you like, I said, you, actually, you're not on Instagram or anything like that. At the I am on everything, but I don't do anything, but I will, I will make sure to tell people yeah maybe someone will retweet us yeah so so what, what are your handles and what's all the stuff people can follow you oh, i don't even know i uh i think <laughs> i'm nathan englander on twitter but i haven't been on in like two years but i keep saying i'm gonna get back to it just yeah. to make my brain toxic and i'm n englander on instagram and who knows what the, and then yeah i think yeah. i have the nathan on facebook okay cool i mean again i'm sure we could talk for another yeah. hour I, I hope to get you back on um yeah. and yeah and you your newest book was uh kiddish.com cottage.com one yeah that's that's out in paper now and yes that's that's the last one right and, and what's going on the few are you working on a new thing right now or are you kind of just you said you were doing the play but that oh yeah i have uh um yes the play is now not happening before 2022 yeah. and that which is fine i just want everyone to be in good health and i love yeah. you know praying for everyone and yes as for art forms uh, rooting for the theater world people are in it's in dire straits i want uh, wishing everyone well and then yeah no i oh i'm doing my first audible story i've never done a story for audible oh but, speed yeah so are you narrating it or are you writing it no writing it but uh that's what i'm rewriting now so awesome yes. 
Yeah. Nathan, yeah. thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me. Um, what fun. So nice to meet you. I'm yeah, excited. most definitely. And hopefully we'll do it again. And hopefully I'll, I'll sign up for a better Zoom account. <laughs> you know, I, I, we can use mine. Anyway, have a great right, day at work. Enjoy the day, man. Take care.